Hi everyone, and welcome to Tales from the Cartridge, a video game storytelling podcast. My name is Eric Penrod, I am one of your co-hosts. Uh, and my name is Ryan Bauer, and I will be the other co-host. Woo, we're doing it, we're starting a podcast. <laughs> we are, so cool. we're, doing, we're doing a podcast, a, a video game podcast. A video game podcast, but it's a little different than most yeah. video game podcasts. Um, so Tales from the Cartridge is a podcast that is predominantly... Um, focusing on the stories of video games. So we're going to not focus on any video game mechanics or anything such like that, how a game plays or or anything of the sort. We're just focusing solely on the story and what we kind of, you know, we'll go through the story, we'll talk about how we feel about um, things of the story, and then at the end kind of go over as a whole what we liked and what we didn't like. And um, but I think the whole goal of the podcast is for, for listeners to kind of feel a part of the conversation and to, you know, listen to stories from video games that maybe they haven't played in a long time or never played or uh, hopefully have played because I think we picked a lot of good ones. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we did. <laughs> uh, Ryan, you want to go over kind of your background with video games before we start? Yeah. Um, so I have been playing video games my whole life. For me, they've always been um, a way to kind of escape from the things going on in the world and then the stories in these games i think have always been a way for me to think about story Mm -hmm. and are are kind of my initial um reason for loving story so much and for wanting to engage in the stories we tell and i I see video games as kind of like uh just as important as the stories Mm -hmm. in movies and in comics and in other forms of narrative uh but just told in a really interesting and different way i totally agree with that that's actually like a a fantastic way of describing it i don't even know if i can say anything (laughs) after that (laughs) Uh, um yeah i'm the same way i've been playing video games my my whole life i feel like uh you know i was playing snes for a long time but i think the the the, you know n64 is when it really kicked off for me my video game adventure (laughs) like my 64 changed (laughs) everything and uh from there i've always been Mm -hmm. playing so um but yeah no storytelling in games i think is something that is it's not overlooked but i think a lot of times game mechanics and how a game plays which is obviously very important parts of a game you know that kind of like over um are kind of like looked over more than the story if that makes any sense or not looked yeah. over more but you know what i mean uh the story's kind of looked over more so but yeah no so yeah the whole point of the story of this podcast i mean is to go over the stories of your games um and we would love to hear from uh, the viewers about what they liked and did not like about the stories that we go over for the, from video games. So if you have any uh, feelings, thoughts uh, on the stories we cover, please write in or message us over social media. Our, uh, our email is talesfromthecartridge at gmail.com, but all of the E's are threes <laughs> because we couldn't get the regular, <laughs> the regular Gmail account. It's even better. It's, it's even, even better. better. Yeah, it's more, it's more unique. Um, and you can also find us on uh, Instagram and I think Twitter. I think we're on Twitter. Yeah, we're on Instagram, we're on Twitter. Cool. Yeah, awesome. Yeah. Yeah. All the teas. So, yeah, so if you like us, follow us there. Um, send us your reactions. We'll happily read them. Uh, well, next episode. We don't get them this time, unfortunately. So um, It's not live yeah, yet. Yeah, but we'll go over them. Because <laughs> I think the biggest part of this, uh, this podcast, too, is that um, everyone has a different perspective on things, which is, which is a beautiful thing. You know, how we see the world is different than how other people see the world uh and the healthiest thing for us to do in order to better our perspective is to get other people's perspectives whether we agree with them or not you know so how you see yeah. uh, a game might be different than how i see it but how you see it could be 
extremely fascinating and totally changed how I see it. So, which is cool. And I think one of the, 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 with this first game we picked, I think one of the, the best, uh, justifications for choosing this game in particular is this is a time in games where like the stories really started to take themselves really seriously and really started to matter. There were stories and games before this, but around this time is when these games were really trying to tell a really interesting story and trying to kind of change the way we thought about um, games and, and almost a more serious matter on the level of, you know, movies and books. And, and so I think this first one is a really good pick for that. For sure, for sure. Because I think we had, like, stories, you know, from mm-hmm. PS1 and 64 era. Um, yeah, of you know, course. Like Zelda and Final Fantasy were all great stories, fantastic stories. But, like, man, our first game that we're recovering in this podcast is Bioshock. And Bioshock is a, a you know, has so many iconic moments and, and deep story beats and just mm-hmm. fascinating ideas that I think really pushed, like you said, Ryan, you make a great point, really pushed. Uh, video game storytelling in a, yeah. a very positive direction so it's such a good story <laughs> oh, i'm so excited to get into it so with the the format of this podcast we were gonna uh we uh watched a playthrough and we would play the game i mean i played Bioshock, like, <laughs> yeah at least five times <laughs> in my life um but i really wanted to make sure that when we sat down and wrote this that you know we were focused on um not missing anything so we watched a playthrough um, really took the story beats that we thought was that were important um, from the game. Some things are missing um, that we kind of thought um, would kind of just make it make it hard to follow. So this is predominantly the protagonist's story from their point of view. Um, but you know, I think and I'm speaking for Ryan. Tell me if I'm wrong here, Ryan. Uh, I think we implore you though, if you've never played Bioshock or you know you kind of forget yeah, the story, yeah. please go play it before listening to the podcast. Mm-hmm. You'd be doing yourself a disservice. Um, but so yeah, anything else, Ryan? Before we start? No, I mean I think I'm I'm just very excited. This this game is 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 such like a a cornerstone of gaming mm-hmm. and of gaming stories in a way that I think really set off this whole um, a whole a whole series of games after this. Yeah. Um, both other Bioshock games and other games that uh, kind of set the tone for, for games. And I think, yeah, like Eric said, if you haven't experienced this game yet, go, go watch a playthrough, go play yeah. it. Because, um, the, there are, there are pieces of this game that kind of subvert what you expect in a story in a way that books and movies have done. But I think for games, this was one of the very first times that there was this, this unreliable narrator piece to mm-hmm. it. That's really interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, such a good point. Yeah, definitely. Actually, I think I'm pretty sure the Bioshock, Bioshock collection, uh, just came out for Switch, um, so actually, yes, it, it, yeah, it did. part of this part of this thing that we're doing with the podcast is that we're trying to pick games that are easily accessible to people. Mm-hmm. Um, so sometimes we may not get that. You know, I think it's. I wish Nintendo would push uh, for Ocarina <laughs> in the Majora's Mask re-release on Switch, but you never know; it could happen anytime. So we'll get there. We'll get there someday. I, think. I really hope. As yeah. a single tear just falls from my eye. <laughs> <As I wait>. <laughs> right. <laughs> Um, so yeah, so uh, so what the podcast what we're gonna do is we'll we'll go through the narrative. Um, we wrote it ourselves, and uh, as we're reading, we'll kind of stop and just kind of dissect as we go along. Um, in the future, we kind of are talking about if this gets popular enough, we will totally do a uh, an only story with no commentary. 
for those of you who want to just hear the story and kind of would love to have that as like a bedtime ritual or or in the car and just kind of want to envision it as you drive safely of course <laughs> we don't like Always. picturing big daddies as you ram into someone else's car but um but yeah for now we'll just be doing commentary as we as we go through it so um but yeah so uh i guess without further ado we'll kind of go into the background of the story um so bioshock mm-hmm. was released in 2007 yikes man 13 years ago yeah it was a long time ago <laughs> and if you look at the games that came out in 2007 it's like uncharted came out in 2007 assassin's really? creed came out in, it was like a it was a it was a a, ten, a, a beefy time wow that's crazy i actually yeah i think we were yeah. both in high school right actually so backstory yeah. ryan and i have known each other since high school <laughs> um yes yes we've we been have. friends since ninth grade um Actually, I thought Ryan was picking on me because he was talking to someone that had picked on me previously <laughs> years past. <laughs> so I immediately assumed Ryan yeah. was a bad person. Uh, turns out he's the yeah. sweetest person I've ever met. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, but I remember 2007. I remember Assassin's Creed coming out and, and really being into yeah. that. But that's not the yeah. point, I guess. I'm going off a tangent here. Right. Um, so yeah, 2007 it came out and Bioshock did. It developed by Irrational Games, which is sadly not mm-hmm. together anymore. And it's under a different studio name with a much smaller team, which is super sad um and the uh story was written by ken levine also the the game director so awesome guy i think ken levine is one of my favorite video game directors uh, i loved bioshock but when infinite came out i was super super into ken levine and anything he had to say <laughs> he's a very fascinating person so and then uh so the game was heavily inspired um yeah actually Ryan, do you want to get into this part yeah, so um, Ken Levine was heavily inspired by some ideas. I think Bioshock is the reason it, it kind of elevates itself to a different place in the even to the time is it, it is looking at concrete things in our world, heavily focused on kind of the politics of the world around them, really focused on ideas of objectivism and um, Ayn Rand and a book that Ayn Rand wrote called Atlas Shrugged, which is about a, a rich uh, mogul who collected a bunch of people from around the world and created his own city within this place um which as as you hear the story that that's kind of reflected in some ways yeah um and even like the imagery of atlas shrugged you'll see um is is a big part of bioshock um and this this idea of objectivism is is it's i mean it's a really dense philosophy um that a lot of people still follow and have very strong feelings about and Anne Rand um, herself was a, a much like Andrew Ryan was a woman, um, which you'll, we'll talk more about, was from the Soviet Union and, um, you know, saw what communism and those ideas felt like in her homeland. So then when she came to America, she kind of wrote some stories. And objectivism is basically about individualism and how the things, the mo- you know, we can't really focus on things that might or might not be real we can only focus on the things that we can prove are real that are objective that are are true so mm-hmm. Anne rand was a person who didn't really believe in deities or the power of somebody if it didn't serve individual or personal self-interest and the the most basic thing you could do to be a good and moral person was do things that made you feel happy to help you know um, th- they talk a lot about objectivism about selfishness as being a really positive thing, and that's something that that can help drive um, the whole world as a whole. Because um, if we if we look at um, if we just base on things we believe that those things can't be are unobtainable, so why are we focusing on those things? Let's focus on the things that make us happy, and the best way you can do that is being a productive um, and um, 
useful person, and a lot of this is tied with ideas of capitalism. Of course, but again, these are really big ideas that I, I do not have a philosophy background. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but just thinking about some of these things as you're playing this game and as you're hearing this story, understanding these were um, Ken Levine's inspirations of, of why he wanted to tell a story about this, this idea, because this idea is still prominent in, in today's world. And um, you can kind of see um, how in your, in your own, in your, as, you, as you view the world, you may see some of these ideas popping up and how, these, how this objectivist movement has affected those. Um, yeah, so it, that was a little heavy, um, <laughs> but just for some background, um, I think it's important to, just like when we look at um, folk stories that we hear, um, uh, it's important to kind of understand what, what the background is in those things. Yeah. And luckily in this, in this medium, we, we can talk to the people who wrote these stories and we can hear interviews from the people who wrote these stories and see what they're trying to tell us. And then obviously, you know, take our own inspiration from those things and our own things. But yeah, right. So yeah. that's a big part of it. Man, it's so interesting you say that. Cause like, as you were saying all those things about Anne Rand and Atlas shrugged, Wow, it's it really does. Bioshock really does take heavily from those things. Yeah, like the yeah. character, just like you talking about the the points there. I was thinking of the characters um, that really fit that mold. You know, like of, mm-hmm. of the selfishness and the, uh, you know, kind of working for yourself and that kind of mm-hmm. thing. So individual rights and yes. property rights being the most important. Yeah. So yeah, and I'm hoping I'm thinking as we're talking about this, the listeners will kind of see that too. I'm sure that everyone's yeah. thinking the same character that I am when you say that. So <laughs> or by yeah, the, two, the, yeah. the two characters in the, in the story that kind of mm-hmm. represent that philosophy. And I guess you would kind yeah. of say too, um, without going too far, I guess, cause we haven't really talked to the story yet. The main, the protagonist would kind of be the, the opposite view of, of those two. Yeah, yeah. I, the the protagonist is somebody who, in in this is something that in in the game you get a choice. Um, right. You get to choose to be altruistic, or you get to choose to be kind of individualistic. And in the the choice you make, this game kind of, in in Ken Levine's mind, in the story he's telling, it he here's what he believes will will happen if you follow those two paths in right. a really interesting way. Right. Yeah. And actually, that's a really good point, Ryan, because I think uh, I, this is for clarification. Um, so yeah, like, like Ryan said, there's two actually endings to this game, but for this story, we're going to focus predominantly on the on the good ending, um, the altruistic choices being made by the protagonist, and then at the end, we'll kind of go over for the listener too, like, hey, if you weren't so, you know, if you're more of an individualist <laughs> and making poor yeah. choices, this is what would have happened at the end yeah. of the game for the protagonist. So, but we'll focus mostly on the on the good choices because typically that's kind of like the canon. You know, especially for as yeah. we'll see later on yeah. in, the, in the series of games, mm-hmm. that kind of is the canon for what kind of goes on. So, um, well, I guess a lot of people can take that in different ways. Whatever, it doesn't matter. We're going to <laughs> way too far into this. Sorry. <laughs> so, all right. Well, then uh, I guess not further ado. We'll start. I'm try- I'm sorry. One of the characters is Irish, and I'll try my absolute hardest to sound Irish, but I'm probably going to sound You'll god awful. Job. I'm so sure. I'm, it's okay. I'm so sorry. Anyone that's Irish or. <laughs> Uh, I find it, it's always useful uh, to have like a code phrase. That's something that a trick for everybody listening. If if you want to have an accent, if you think of like a code phrase, uh, something you would say in that accent can kind of get, get your brain oh, in that wow. mindset. Of yeah, yeah. I I, I, the, only I, thing I think of, <laughs> the only thing I can think of is the is the big part of the of the story. <laughs> like the thing yeah, that's, that's okay. Said a lot, so yeah. um, hopefully that will help. <laughs> yeah. Okay. You'll do great. <laughs> All right. 16 minutes in. We're going to start. Are you ready? I'm ready, yeah. Okay. So our story begins uh, with a dialogue being spoken by our protagonist. 
When mom and dad put me on the plane to visit my cousins in England, they told me, son, you're special. You were born to do great things. You know what? They were right. What an awesome way to start a story. I love it. It's so good. It's such a good, yeah. yeah. So good. Flying in a plane over the Atlantic Ocean in the 1960s, our protagonist, Jack, is sitting comfortably smoking a cigarette. Taking his wallet out and flipping it open, Jack looks at a picture of what is seemingly him and his parents. After putting the wallet back, Jack picks up a present wrapped in blue wrapping paper and tied with a red bow. On the present is a note, slightly covered by that bow, saying, To Jack with love, from Mom and Dad. Would you kindly not open until... But the rest of it was cut off. Suddenly, Jack begins to feel turbulence. The passengers on board begin to scream, and the plane crashes into the ocean below. Oh, I love the opening of this game. It really does... For me personally, it grips, it grips me. You know, like, it's such a great way to, to, to thrust you into a bad situation. Yeah, th- this this part, the, the entire opening sequence of this game, the entire opening narrative is still, I think, holds up as one of the best mm-hmm. um, that's been done, just because the how 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 much it grips you and throws you right in. For sure, for sure. I yeah, 100% agree with you. Um, emerging from the plane as the only survivor of the crash, Jack swims to safety over to a very nearby lighthouse. Behind him, the plane has that he was once riding on minutes ago gradually sinks into the ocean. After climbing the stairs of the lighthouse, Jack walks through the strangely already opened doors in front of him. With the doors suddenly closing behind him, the lights inside the lighthouse turn on and Jack is found up staring up at a golden statue of a man with a banner hanging below him that reads, No gods or kings, only man. So cool. It really, it, I, for me, when I remember first playing Bioshock, I had absolutely no idea where this was going. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, 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 you have no idea. I had no idea. And then as you play more, you're like, okay, I'm starting to get a, a better picture of what yeah, this guy's philosophy is. It sets the stage is. really well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. On the ground in front of Jack is a large hole with a golden plaque in the front with a message reading, in what country is a place for people like me? Quoted by uh, Andrew Ryan. Noticing stairs in the back, Jack follows them down deeper into the lighthouse to find a deep-sea submersible known as a bathysphere. Having no other options, Jack climbs inside the bathysphere and pulls the single lever inside, which takes him into the ocean below. Ten fathoms, eighteen fathoms, Jack sees himself sinking into the dark ocean beneath him. Suddenly, a projector screen covers the only window of the bathysphere, and a projector comes to life. Music begins to play as an ad shows a man whose finger is on fire, and lighting a young woman's cigarette. Fire at your fingertips, the headline reads. Incinerate by Ryan Industries. The image changes to a man sitting comfortably in a chair, smoking from a pipe. It is the same man whose golden statue hung in the lighthouse. A voice came over the radio inside saying, I'm Andrew Ryan, and I'm here to ask you a question. Is a man not entitled to the sweat of his brow? No, says the man in Washington. It belongs to the poor. No, says the man in the Vatican. It belongs to God. No, says the man in Moscow. It belongs to everyone. I rejected those answers. Instead, I chose something different. I chose the impossible. I chose rapture. Ugh. Again, I keep saying, I keep doing that. I keep going, ugh. Because like, it's somebody, it's like you said, so right? So good. It's such a great way mm-hmm. to start this yeah, whole story except the stage yeah, yeah for sure getting chills as you read it's just so good it's so good Ugh. the projector screen comes back down to reveal an underwater city 
As a giant octopus swims by the window of the bathysphere, Andrew Ryan continues. A city where the artist will not fear the censor, where the scientists will not be bound by petty morality, where the great would not be constrained by the small, and with the sweat of your brow, rapture can become your city as well. Uh, there's so many important things here too that as the player watching the story, you don't realize is kind of the whole point of this. You know, mm-hmm. with the sweat of your brow, rapture can become your city as well. You know, and I think it's such an important sentence in this whole thing to kind of keep with you as you play the game. This this whole intro is setting you up for what everything is going to come after. This is like the core of what this place is. And I think something that's really interesting and maybe and I'm sure the listeners will understand as they're is that there's Andrew Ryan as a character and the other characters are here, but understanding that Rapture is a character itself mm-hmm. and that these, these pieces um, are, are part of setting that up. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Yeah. It really is. Rapture really is its own character. Yeah. You're totally yeah. right. It, yeah. The bathysphere continued to swim through the ocean, showing Jack more of the underwater utopia in front of him. As the submersible moves under an underwater tunnel, the lights of the underwater advertisements outside the building shone through the ocean's darkness. As the bathysphere arrived to its destination inside Rapture, Jack looks out to read the signs coming into the city, which say, All good things of this earth flow into the city. The bathysphere begins to flow upwards once inside, and Jack officially arrives into the city of Rapture. As it settles on top of the water inside the building as he just entered, Jack looks out the window to find two figures. Jack watches as a deranged woman impales the man in front of her, begging for his life, with two hooks in either hand. The woman, after noticing Jack in the bathysphere looking at the window, approaches the submersible. Is it someone new? said the woman. The woman screams in anger and climbs on top of the bathysphere. Using her hooks, she begins to claw into the sub. The submersible begins to rock back and forth and sparks begin to fly around Jack. The woman jumps down, frustrated, and begins to walk away without reason. It's so good because like once in that situation, you kind of feel like you're in this magical place. And as you yeah. enter the magical place, you realize that you're so screwed. As you're watching as this woman kills this, this guy and this beautiful utopia is becoming quickly becoming a nightmare. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And this this moment is so terrifying as you're just thrown into this world. And it's so, the juxtaposition is so perfect where it's it's saying like, here's this idealistic place that everyone wants to be. And then that's, you're thrown right up against this like dystopia that you now see around you yeah. that's kind of falling apart. And there's these monsters that you're not sure why they're there. Yeah, it's it's really scary and really sets up this whole scene. And, and like, like you keep saying, it sets up the rest of the story. Right, yeah. And like, man, yeah. And it's just very telling of what your journey's about to be like you know it's mm-hmm. actually terrifying <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> at least it was for me i mean i'm horrible with so scary, scary games yeah i'm really bad at scary yeah. games so if anyone out there is listening like oh it wasn't that scary then good on you good on you because i wish i had <laughs> yeah. your mentality <laughs> yeah this is so spooky uh, here comes the irish accent so i apologize <laughs> ahead of time. <laughs> all right over the radio jack hears the following would you kindly pick up the shortwave radio he turns to his left and picks up the service radio sitting in a small pocket of the bathysphere's wall. The man over the radio introduces himself as Atlas and tells Jack he plans to help him stay alive. As the bathysphere finally opens, Jack takes his first steps into rapture. 
Atlas, using Jack as bait, lures the woman from before who killed the man in front of Jack out of hiding and attacks her with a flying turret. Now, I just want to say to you, when I say flying turret, like it's literally a flying turret <laughs> because this rapture is a very futuristic kind of place even though it's not when you say flying turret it's literally like this like propeller attached to a turret flying around so uh screaming the woman jumps away now would you kindly find a crowbar or something said atlas picking up a wrench jack continues forward through the debris and up a flight of stairs where a splicer jumps out and attacks him desperate to survive jack fights back using his wrench and kills the splicer for the first time Following the stairs around the corner, Jack sees a sign reading Plasmids, which leads into a machine labeled Gather's Garden. The machine looks old and has two statues of young girls smiling next to it. Inside the machine are red vials of liquid. Finding a syringe with the red liquid at his feet, Jack injects it into himself. After doing so, electricity begins to show in Jack's hands as Atlas talks to him over the radio. Steady now, your genetic code is being rewritten. Just hold on and everything will be fine. And watching this again, I never realized the first time playing the game, you know, no one asks Jack to do this. <laughs> no one, like yeah, nothing, yeah. nothing propels Jack to take the syringe and just inject himself with it. At least that that I saw. I could totally have missed something. But when I was watching again, I was like, why did he just pick that up? Like, I, that would not have been my first thought. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. To just walk up and grab whatever this thing is in this place and inject yourself. Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure. It, it must be this kind of thing where that's what you do in video games right you just would if something in front of you you use it but yeah it's kind of like a you know you have to do it in order to progress the story kind of thing. <laughs> right right yeah. which is so interesting with um the rest of the story and how that plays out as he's screaming in pain from his injection jack suddenly falls backwards over the railing and lands on the floor below with his vision blurry jack sees two splicers walk up and stand next to him wondering if he still has any atom on him Quickly, the two splicers run away at the sound of what one of them calls a big daddy. As the splicers run, Jack hears moaning as a large person comes walking next to him in what looks like a deep sea diving suit. On his right arm is a drill. Next to him is a little girl. Jack hears the little girl say something. Look, Mr. Bubbles, it's an angel. I can see his light coming from his belly. Wait a minute. He's still breathing. It's all right. I know he'll be an angel soon. Ugh. <laughs> so spooky. So spooky. terrifying. Jack sees the little girl standing next to him, holding a giant needle. Her skin was gray, and her eyes glowed a bright yellow. Upon seeing that, though, Jack passes out. After waking up after an undisclosed amount of time, Jack notices he is alone and stands up. He continues to the door in front of him as he ventures deeper into rapture. As Jack enters an elevator, Atlas comes over the radio. Listen, I've got a family. I need you to get them out of here. Atlas recruits Jack into rescuing his family. Without any objection, Jack agrees to help. Atlas then asks Jack to go to a place called Neptune's Bounty and find his family. As Jack continues further into Rapture, he encounters more splicers who have seemingly lost their mind. So I didn't put this in the story because I didn't want to take too long because there's so many good examples of this. But the one that kind of mm -hmm. comes to my mind was as you're walking through, Jack finds this woman who is talking to what you think is a baby in a baby carriage, right? She doesn't know you're there until you get closer. And then as Jack gets closer to her, she attacks him. And upon killing her, Jack walks over to the baby carriage and just finds that it's a pistol laying inside, which I think yeah. is so, it's so good at kind of showing you how just deranged everybody has become mm -hmm. in this city. 
yeah, how far they've gone from being normal in any way. And at this point, we don't know what's happened to them or why they're like this. Um, but it's really interesting, yeah, that how, in the thing you just said, demonstrates that how it subverts what you're expecting in, mm-hmm. in a really interesting way. Actually, that's a, that's a great segue <laughs> into what we're about to yeah. talk about. Coming over the radio, Atlas explains the plasmids changed everything for the citizens of Rapture. It destroyed their bodies and their minds. Everyone went crazy from using them, and the whole city went to hell. Plasmids are these powers that Jack acquires throughout the game. So the first one he got from the injection was electricity. So as he goes mm-hmm. to Rapture fighting splicers off with his wrench and various guns, he acquires these powers. We don't focus heavily on the powers and everything like that, but you know he does acquire them. That's why, again, go play the game <laughs> so you know yeah. exactly what we're talking about. Jack continued through until he found his way into the theater. Atlas came over the radio saying, Careful now. Would you kindly lower that weapon for a minute? Jack could see a child down below on stage with what looked like a dead body. Atlas explained to Jack that the child was no child anymore, that it was known as a little sister, and she was a monster. The little sisters collected and carried what was called Adam, extracting it from corpses found in Rapture. It was the same Adam used to make plasmids. As Jack gets closer to the little sister, he sees a splicer coming up behind her. Upon turning around, the little sister screams, and a loud, deep wailing could be heard in the distance. Jumping from the back of the theater, a big daddy leaps down to the little sister and splicer. The eye holes of his helmet glow red, and with his drill, the big daddy impaled the splicer and smashed him through the glass Jack was observing all this through. Atlas explains to Jack that the little sisters collect the atom, and the big daddies protect them. Again, awesome setting up for yeah. what you're about to expect in this because when you see the big daddy do this at least for me personally as you know the big daddy jumps down to the theater and kills the splicer super easy <laughs> you're thinking how am i ever gonna fight this big daddy at least i, I thought how am i ever gonna fight this yeah. big daddy? this dude's yeah. gonna just destroy me yeah <laughs> yeah it sets it up as that being like just these terrifying things that just hulk around and that you all you can do is do your best not to get found by them just sets this whole tension of rapture yeah yeah and i I think it also kind of establishes this nice mystery of like what are these things you know are they human so they protect the little sisters but what you know is there any other goals here Mm -hmm. so exactly why are they doing this it's just such a cool enemy type to put into this story and they're kind of more complex and they're not just there to murder everything they see they have this like really interesting purpose which is Mm -hmm. kind of these little sisters safe which is such a cool like dynamic yeah definitely jack continues forward to neptune's bounty where the entrance is gated off and jack is attacked by more splicers atlas clearly angry tells jack that andrew ryan is getting in their way and to continue through the medical pavilion instead going into the elevator next to him jack becomes trapped and andrew ryan's voice comes over the radio inside asking jack where he came from he warns jack that he won't be slapped around Splicers begin to bash into the elevator as Jack escapes. With Jack arriving into the medical pavilion, Atlas tells him to continue to the emergency access, which will take him to Neptune's bounty. Jack continues to fight Splicers as he makes his way over there, but Atlas informs him that a Dr. Steinman runs the medical pavilion and his key is necessary to go into the emergency access. Continuing through the medical pavilion, Jack runs into the surgeon, Dr. Steinman, in an operating room with a splicer laying on a table in front of him. Steinman, frustrated, screams that his patients always turn out wrong despite his desire to make them beautiful. 
Channeling his anger, Steinman stabs into the Splicer multiple times, killing them. Such a cool scene. It really, I remember playing it, it freaked me out so much. Because also in the scene too, as he's screaming about wanting to make his patients beautiful, he like displays his dead patients crucified above him on the ceiling. Yeah. You can, again, it's another great example of how just deranged these people have become laying at the bottom mm-hmm. of the ocean, kind of just trapped in the city, you know? Yeah, it really does set the pace really well, or just the atmosphere, I mean. Yeah. And that this world is still, like, alive, and there are still these things happening down here um, that you, you don't know what else you're going to come up against and what else you're going to face. That if this is something you find in the medical pavilion, then what else are you going to yeah, find? Yeah, yeah. If this is yeah. the first, like, really bad person, you know, like, the slices are all, like, you know, they've lost their minds, they're attacking you, but Dr. Steinman's is, like, kind yeah. of the first boss we find in the story here. And I remember thinking, like, if this is the first dude we have to fight, <laughs> what's the last dude we're going to have to fight <laughs> going to yeah, be like? what else are we going to have to <laughs> Noticing Jack watching him, Steinman continues to comment that he is ugly and pulls out a machine gun and fires at Jack. Jack rushes at Steinman, and a brief fight ensues. Upon the doctor's death, Jack gets his access key and continues onward to Neptune's bounty. I remember playing, like, playing this one the first time, and I actually ran out of like everything except my wrench. <laughs> like, I had no plasmids <laughs> left, I had no ammo, and like, I remember I was like, man, this is like a horrible situation. So like, I had to like, attack him with the wrench, and I was like, man, this would definitely not happen in like, real life. This would be so much cooler. Well, actually, in real life, it probably wouldn't yeah. be, but you know, for the purpose of this, I thought it would be cool. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and there are so many different ways you can kind of go about like fighting these things like all the different plasmas all the different weapons that uh it it makes it a really different experience one of my favorite ways to play is just with the shocking grasp and the wrench because uh it's just a a fun you do more damage with the wrench after you shock yeah yeah Yeah, and and it's it's so cool too is like i i thought about playing this in the story but i didn't want to become like repetitive or i I don't know i I feel bad like i know and actually in this in this fight with dr simon there's a lot of water on the ground and that's kind of how i think you really learn how to use that technique you shoot the the water on the mm-hmm. ground which shocks and you walk over and hit him with the wrench um so yeah, yeah uh, such a but we don't talk about game mechanics here you know what i mean like this is not a podcast <laughs> for that you know i've already talked about playing <laughs> right. the game look elsewhere i've already talked about it a few times i remember when i played this game so i really gotta stick to the story sorry i'm trying to, i'm already breaking the rules of our it's own okay. podcast on our first episode it's okay it's, okay. <laughs> it's hard <laughs> With parts of Rapture falling apart, Atlas comments that the city becoming the world's fastest growing pile of junk. Turning the corner, Jack finds a dead body of a big daddy. Mm-hmm. Atlas, noticing and encouraging Jack to find the little sister in an attempt to get more Adam from her. Jack finds a spicer trying to take the little sister, but is shot by a woman standing in the balcony on the back wall of the room. She comments that she will not let anyone hurt her little ones. Atlas continues to call the little sisters monsters and how the woman on the balcony, Dr. Tenenbaum, saw to their creation. The little sister tries to flee and begins to cry as she realizes that she can't escape Jack. Dr. Tenenbaum tells Jack that there is another way to save the little sisters. She throws Jack a plasmid that he takes and tells Jack that she'll make it worth his while if he saves the little sister. Trying to run away, the little sister is taken by Jack. And in this moment, Jack needed to decide if he would harvest her or rescue her. So I didn't go into it into the story either, but like in this little sister are these sea slugs and the sea slugs are kind of what create, you know, they're an essential part of making these plasmids in the city. If you harvest the sea slug from the little sister, the little sister dies. But Jack gets more Adam from doing that. But if you save her, you get less Adam, but you're, you know, saving a life. 
so for, again for the purpose of this story jack's gonna be saving all the little sisters um but in the in the bad side of it he he does not do that <laughs> <laughs> yeah using his new plasmid to heal the little sister her color comes back to her skin and her eyes return to normal she thanks jack and runs away dr tenenbaum thanks jack for making the right choice while atlas calls jack a sap Atlas encourages Jack to take on a big daddy so he can get more Adam from the little sisters. Running into one shortly after, and after a difficult fight, the big daddy dies by Jack's hand and rescues another little sister. Jack makes it to the emergency access and opens it with Dr. Steinman's keycard. Atlas is happy by this and tells Jack that he looks forward to shaking his hand. Finally arriving in Neptune's bounty, Atlas instructs him to go to Fontaine's fisheries. From there, he'll get to the submarine that holds his family. Arriving at Fontaine Fisheries, Jack comes across a man named Peach Welkins, who won't let him into the fisheries unless Jack helps him get a research camera in the wharf master's office. Wilkins warns Jack that if he smells an ounce of Fontaine on him, then I'll have you in a box. Over the radio, Atlas comments that Fontaine's dead, and he's been dead for months. He tells Jack that everyone is still jumping at his shadow, even Andrew Ryan. When Jack retrieves the camera for Wilkins, Wilkins instructs him to take pictures of Spicer's scene in Rapture, and he will allow Jack through the fisheries. After collecting all the pictures of Spicer's needed, Jack meets up with Wilkins again. Jack enters Fontaine Fisheries, but once inside the room, Jack hears Wilkins say the following, Now I bet when your boss wiggled out of hell, he done told the devil, keep you right back. And the devil said, sure thing, Mr. Fontaine, I'll hold you a spot. Ryan promised Fontaine was dust, and now here you are, doing his dirty. I guess that makes Ryan a bum, and you, uh... But in that moment, Jack fights Wilkins, and other Spicers come flooding into the room. Jack fights for his life, and he's able to kill all of them. Atlas points Jack to the submarine bay, and explains that it's the only used by Fontaine's smugglers back in the day. And was hidden so the coppers couldn't find it. Finding the secret entrance behind a block of ice, Jack finds the submarine bay to Atlas's delight. He tells Jack he cannot make it inside and that his family should be close. Jack finds the submarine with Atlas's family inside and tries to release them. But Andrew Ryan comes over the radio and tells Jack that he has made a poor choice and that Atlas's family will pay. Atlas tells Jack to run and they can regroup later as they continue to fight more splicers. Suddenly, the submarine with Atlas's family explodes inside of the fisheries. Atlas, clearly upset, tells Jack that enough is enough and that he needs to go to a place called Arcadia inside of Rapture and swears that he will find Andrew Ryan and he will tear his heart out. So I think this is the moment in the, of the story that really gives you, from a, from a story perspective, the most motivation to continue through, right? It's a, for me, mm-hmm. I thought it was a little strange that Jack was helping Atlas so much, like to help Atlas find his family. Jack must have been a, you know, a really nice person. He doesn't say anything in the game, except for the very beginning of the game. Um, so mm-hmm. when Atlas's family dies, uh, and Atlas is clearly upset, it kind of gives Jack that motivation, like, this is my friend. I need to help my friend get revenge. You know, Andrew yeah. Ryan is this, just yeah. this huge jerk <laughs> that keeps stopping <laughs> us from, you know, just trying to save people and get out of here. So in that moment, Andrew Ryan clearly becomes enemy number one, right? Like he's just this huge right. jerk right. that you kind of need to overcome. Yeah. And Atlas has been, up to this point, Atlas has been kind of helping you navigate 
rapture and helping you kind of find his find your way through um and at this point it, you're, you're you're kind of okay now atlas needs my help um and we're going to do this together right right and like, like i would kind of assume from from jack's perspective too at least being the player of like a voiceless character like atlas essentially kind of saves you when you first come into rapture right so now that right he, he kind of needs help first saving his family and then second being revenge it kind of like kind of pushes you further into this person's desires into atlas's desires you know yeah um that kind of gives you more motivation to stick around and kind of go through with what atlas wants right yeah here's somebody who needs my help and just lost his family of course i'm gonna help him yeah yeah exactly exactly as jack enters arcadia he finds himself surrounded by plant life and greenery beautiful forests and flowers over the radio atlas tells jack the new plan you get to the bathysphere and rolling hills. That'll take you straight to the devil himself, and then all debts will be paid in full. As Jack continued through the bounty of nature that was Arcadia, he continued to fight through Andrew Ryan's horde of splicers. Venturing through the forests of Arcadia, a green gas begins to envelop Jack and the wilderness around him. Atlas comes over the radio to tell Jack that he thinks Andrew Ryan is trying to kill the trees with a toxin in order to cut off the oxygen supply coming from them. Arcadia was designed to supply Rapture with oxygen. Atlas instructs Jack to find a woman named Langford. She is the one who made Arcadia and can help Jack stop Ryan from killing the trees. Finding an elevator, Langford comes out over the radio and tells Jack that he needs to find a sample of Rosa Gallica to help her create a chemical solution which can bring back dead plants to life and stop the trees from dying. Would you kindly find that specimen? And you'd best be quick about it unless you're planning on growing gills. Atlas says to Jack over the shortwave radio. Without the help of the splicers trying to stop him, Jack finds a sample of the Rosa Gallica and makes it back to the elevator. Jack gives the sample to Langford through a tube in the elevator. Langford tells Jack to come up to her office, which he's able to do without any interference. Through a window in her office, Jack sees Langford working on the solution to their problem. Suddenly, over the intercom, Langford and Jack hear Andrew Ryan's voice come to life. Julie! We made a business deal, you and I, did we not? Money changed hands. Let me read you the agreement. Section 3, subsection 4, Ryan Corp maintains exclusive rights to the creation, use, and exploitation of the Lazarus Vector. Ownership's civilization, Julie. Without it, we're back to the swamp. And for background information to the Lazarus vector is what Jack's going to need to save the, the plants. It's kind of the solution. Yeah, it yeah, revives yeah. dead plants. Suddenly, gas begins to fill Langford's office as she begs Andrew Ryan for her life. As the window Jack is looking through is covered in green smog, Langford painfully writes out 9457 with her finger as she dies. Once the smoke stops, the door unlocks and Jack is able to go inside after it's all clear. Noticing a safe in the back of the office, Jack puts in the code Langford wrote on the window, which opens the lock. Inside the safe is an audio diary of Langford, stating that she was so close to finishing the Lazarus Vector and that all she needed left was samples of enzymes, jars of distilled water, and flasks of chlorophyll solution. Understanding what he needs to do, Jack is able to collect the missing ingredients around Arcadia while fighting off splices at every turn. Jack takes all the ingredients and crafts the Lazarus Vector and is able to distribute it throughout Arcadia through the vents. With Jack able to stay alive in Arcadia, he finally makes it to the bathysphere that takes him to rolling hills, and he arrives at Fort Frolic. 
Having made it outside of Fort Frolic in the Rapture Metro, Atlas explains to Jack that Fort Frolic is under the control of a man named Sander Cohen. Atlas explains that Cohen is an artist, but also a true psychopath. As Jack walks into the Rapture Metro, the bathysphere submerges in front of him and the gates close. Music begins to play and the curtains draw to a close on either side. Jack suddenly hears a soft and soothing voice over the radio above. Ah, that's better. Atlas, Ryan, da-da, da-da, da-da. Time was you could get something decent on the radio. The artist has a duty to seduce the ear and delight the spirit. So goodbye to those blowhards and hello to an evening with Sander Cohen. Ah, so cool. Sander Cohen's one of the coolest characters in this game, I think. He's really well done. Yeah, yeah. yeah, He really, he's like, in that moment, when you're thinking, like, how can it get a little, like, worse than Steinman? Steinman's kind of this creepy doctor, (laughs) dude. Sander Cohen, like, ramps it up (laughs) so much. Yes, yeah. And with, with, like, his, um, his disposition, he's just, like, this person who is just really relaxed and just happier there and that like is more unsettling than steinman who was just like you could tell was this like spooky monster yeah he this person his calmness is is even more unsettling right yeah it's almost like he's in control of his insanity if that makes sense yes yeah yeah and it yeah yeah it does yeah like he is so he's so comfortable with it so yeah he's such a cool character as we're about to find out Mm -hmm. (laughs) xander cohen Having jammed the radio transmissions to Atlas and Ryan, left Jack alone with the psychotic artist. Cohen tells Jack that he's going to test him. Test him to see if he is another Johnny come lately, or maybe something more delicious. Spicers begin to attack Jack as Cohen watches from an unknown location. After killing them, Cohen is impressed with Jack, and he invites Jack to Fort Frolic with extreme haste. As he enters Fort Frolic, the lights begin to come on as Jack sees Cohen's artwork. Statues of people made of plaster. But Jack soon realizes that these statues were once living people. The staircase in the middle of the room leads to a stage in the front. With a loud voice, Sander Cohen shouts, Welcome to Fort Frolic. Jack begins to walk around until he is ambushed by even more splicers. Again, killing them, Cohen tells him the plans to test Jack, like all of his other disciples. Throughout the rooms are human statues of Cohen's creation. Finding an elevator, Jack travels up to hear Cohen talking to somebody. Jack walks into the room, and it's a stage room, with a performer playing a piano in the very front of the stage. Jack hears Cohen, unsatisfied with the stranger's performance. The stranger, clearly upset, tells Cohen he is trying and begins to play again. Cohen, still unsatisfied, blows the piano up, killing the stranger. Cohen instructs Jack to take a picture of the young man on stage so that he can remember him as he is now. Satisfied with the picture, Cohen tells Jack to go to the atrium, which is the room with the staircase, and place the photograph in his masterpiece on stage. Going back, Jack places the picture on the stage with his creation. Cohen assures Jack that he will help him get to Andrew Ryan, but only if he's able to help Cohen finish his masterpiece first. Jack is instructed to continue to hunt down the other betrayers of Cohen and get their pictures to finish Cohen's masterpiece. Going back to finish Cohen's work, Jack finds an audio log of a woman named Jasmine Jolene and listens to it. 
That creepy Dr. Tenenbaum promised me that it wasn't going to be a real pregnancy. They'd just take the egg out once Ryan and I had. I needed the money so bad. But I know Mr. Ryan's going to suss it out. Going to know I wasn't being careful. Going to know I sold the... Mr. Ryan's going to be so mad at me. Oof. This is this is really good because it sets up kind of it begins to set up like right what's really going on in the background of all this. Yeah, yeah, you're you're starting to get a, a piece that there's another story other than this main story. There's another story going on here, right? Um, and it it's kind of really it does a really good job of kind of just hinting at this to you that you're gonna you're gonna explore more later. Right, right. And I think like there's so many audio logs that, that Jack has found at this point when playing the game, but. You know, I think we, we kind of chose this was the one to really highlight in this mm -hmm. moment because it's so important. The rest of the dialogues are really good for disposition kind of towards like what's going on, what's kind of gone and uh, before Jack ever came to Rapture. But I think this one is really important moving forward because it kind of helps set up the, the overall story as to what's going on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. As fireworks shoot out around him, and clapping can be heard, Cohen, with his face painted pure white and in a black tuxedo, comes down to admire his masterpiece. His jet black hair slicked back and sporting a thin mustache, Cohen leads Jack to Rapture Metro and tells him to go. I actually thought in this moment that we would have to fight Cohen. Yeah, you know, like no. I thought that that's where Cohen's story would kind of end. But like he just lets Jack go, which I thought was so mm -hmm. interesting. He's so crazy. You know, like you just you can't read them which i think is such a cool it was such a cool thing is like, i think that was kind of a, a video game trope you know you have to fight the you know you do all these things for the bad guy and the bad guy comes out and you fight the bad guy but in this situation cohen just tells him to leave you know yeah yeah just just flipping what your expectation is um in in in, in this really interesting way that now like cohen is still out there and cohen is still uh, it, it he isn't in your way he just wanted you to entertain him and then you're free to go right yeah yeah with the radio jams being stopped, Atlas, clearly confused by what's going on, asks Jack to kindly go leg it over to the spear and get down to Hephaestus. There, Jack can confront Andrew Ryan and end everything. Taking the Rapture Metro's bathysphere, Jack arrives in a Hephaestus. Would you kindly head to Ryan's office and kill the son of a bitch? It's time to finish this, says Atlas over the radio. Busts of Andrew Ryan's face are seen as Jack wanders through Hespestus and the bodies of those who crossed him hung on the wall. Splicers begin to come out of every corner as Jack continues to try and stay alive and saves another little sister along the way from a big daddy. Andrew Ryan continues to taunt Jack over the radio, trying to convince him that his efforts are futile. Jack listens to the recording found along the way and learns of a way to assemble a bomb Realizing he can use this bomb to get into Ryan's barricaded office, Jack collects the materials. Ryan comes over the radio. A man builds a city at the bottom of the sea. That's a marvel. Another man happens to be on a plane that crash lands in the same city in the middle of the ocean. Why? That sounds more like a miracle. So cool. Oh my god. Andrew Ryan is such an interesting character too. Because he's just so... Yeah desperate to get you to stop but at the same time he's not gonna let you think that he's not in control too yeah he he at all points wants you to believe he's in control and wants to be, wants to be in control everything that he has done um in rapture is, is 
has to do with control. And I think this is where it kind of harkens back to what you were saying about in and Rain, right? Rain? Yeah. 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 And Rand. And Rand. Yeah. Sorry, thank you. And uh, Atlas Shrugged, because I, I, you know that selfishness, desire, that kind of mm-hmm. mentality, really, I think, could be seen in Ryan. Yeah, he fully believes that everything that ha- was created here belonged to him because he was the person who built it. He was the one who brought people here. It was his desire to bring these people here. And Rapture itself is his thing that he's created. Right, um, right. And, yeah. I never noticed this when I originally played Bioshock, but, mm-hmm. you know, so many times we see the, the draping of the no gods or kings, only man, right? But then yeah. throughout the whole game, we see busts and statues of Andrew Ryan, you know, as this almost mm-hmm. like this, this, this idolized figure. You know, he's this, yeah. he's, we walk in the lighthouse for the first time, he's this golden statue looking down at you like he's some kind of god. You know, so it's so right. ironic that Andrew Ryan, who is this person that doesn't want there to be any kind of uh, representation of gods or kings and rapture, that everyone's kind of this uh, on this equal playing field, and it's just how much effort do you put in to get to the top. But that's not what we're actually seeing from him. He's saying, he's saying all this, but really he's showing that he feels like he's superior to everybody. Yeah, and I think that was what Ken Levine was trying to show is like that it, no matter how hard you try to, to do this belief, there's always going to be somebody at the top who mm-hmm. believes it belongs to them. And it's something that you'll see all throughout the game is these allusions to God. So in, in the scene when, when, when Jack is walking and sees those people hanging on the wall, they're, they're crucified. Their hands yeah. are out. Their legs are together. So there's these really interesting allusions where he has crucified these people. Um, because he does not believe them to be worthy. Um, yeah, that's really interesting. So yeah, super interesting. I love the irony in that because perspective is everything, right? Like you're like you're the yeah, whole point of this yeah. podcast. And it's so interesting that like Ryan sees it, Andrew Ryan sees it in this way, but us as the person viewing the story can sees it in a totally different way. You know, right? So, right. But I don't think knowing Andrew Ryan's character, I don't think he can be persuaded to, to see it any other way. No. And what I think makes him a good villain and what makes him a good character is he fully believes in what he's saying to you. Mm-hmm. He isn't like out to destroy or to be evil. He believes what he is doing is what he needs to do to save Rapture. Right. Um, and I think that what we're going to see with a lot of these games, and some I think will do it better than others in a lot of these stories, is a good villain always believes that they are the hero of their own story. Yeah, yeah. That is so, yeah, I've actually heard that before too. And I think, like, you know, I think the, the classic line is from Dark Knight, <laughs> the the greatest mm-hmm. yeah. DC movie yeah, ever yeah. made. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, like, yeah. you, you either see yourself or you die a hero or you see yourself become the villain. And I, I think that it's such a, a true statement and such a good statement. Um, yeah. And we kind of see that with Andrew Ryan. He had all this pure intention of creating rapture, but then as it all falls apart, you know, he kind of is gripping to his power and just becoming this villain, but he can't see it. Yeah. And I think that's also echoed in, in Jack in the choices that he makes. And in the end, depending on, obviously, we're playing out what it would be if you'd make the right choice. Or the good choice, I guess. I, I, I don't know if it's the right choice. I would say saving children is always the right choice. <laughs> but um, if, if you play that out in the other way, you are the hero of the story, but you're still making these choices that ultimately are, are quite villainous. Right, right. Searching through the desks around him, discarded items on the ground, and even dead bodies of big daddies, Jack is able to collect the necessary materials for his bomb. Upon constructing the bomb, Atlas instructs Jack to take it to the core past the geothermal controls. 
Using the bomb to short-circuit the core, Jacka runs back up to destroy the magnetic locks, keeping Andrew Ryan safe. Andrew Ryan yells through the radio, Though my physical defenses fall, you will not defeat me. My strength is not in steel and fire, but in my intellect and will. You hear me, Atlas. Andrew Ryan offers you nothing but ashes. Making it to Ryan's office, Jack destroys the magnetic locks, giving access to Andrew Ryan. Ryan comes over the radio. Even in the Book of Lies, sometimes you find truth. This is indeed a season for all things. And now that I see you flesh to flesh, blood to blood, I know I cannot raise my hand against you. But know this, you are my greatest disappointment. Does your master hear me? Atlas, you can kill me, but you will never have my city. My strength is not in steel and fire. That is what the parasites will never understand. A season for all things, a time to live and a time to die, a time to build and a time to destroy. I feel like this is the part where we really see Ryan start to unravel because he, like, no matter what he does, Jack yeah. just keeps getting through everything. Yeah, and and in here he's he's making the choice that I would rather destroy the city than let who he believes the parasites to have it. Right. And and he is recognizing something that we that Jack hasn't recognized yet. So in the beginning of that, you can tell that Ryan has recognized something in Jack that Jack has not realized yet. That is going to come out later. But the reason that Ryan knows that he cannot face Jack is because he has he has seen something. He's recognized something in him. Right. Yes. Yes. Which is interesting. We'll we'll touch on that yes. later. We'll t- we can touch on that later. Yeah. yeah. Andrew Ryan, setting the core of Rapture to self-destruct, invites Jack to meet him. Racing to get to Ryan in time before everything blows, Jack makes his way into a vent and jumps down into a room below. Before him is a wall filled with notes, various pictures, including Jack's photo, Dr. Tenenbaum, a man with a bald head, and Andrew Ryan. Red yarn is connected to multiple people on the wall, and written in red across the wall is Would You Kindly. Jack picks up a recording resting on the desk below, the pictures on the wall. Listening to it, he hears a scientist by the name of Dr. Suchong asking what sounds like a young boy to break the neck of a dog. Crying, the boy begs not to. Dr. Suchong instructs the boy to break the puppy's neck. Would you kindly? At the end, the dog is heard yiping the doctor's approval. Su Chong, another recording next to the first, describes a baby only a year old, weighing 58 pounds and having the musculature of a fit 19-year-old. Su Chong states the client is for Fontaine Futuristics. Not making sense of any of it, and leaving the room, Jack makes it to Ryan's office. Observing him through a large, paned window, Jack finds Ryan practicing his putting skills. Ryan begins to speak to Jack. Ah, the assassin has overcome my final defense, and now he's come to murder me. In the end, what separates a man from a slave? Money? Power? No. A man chooses, a slave obeys. You think you have memories? A farm, a family, an airplane, a crash. And then this place. As Ryan talks, flashes of Jack's family, family's farm, his parents, smoking a cigarette on a plane, and his crash in front of the lighthouse come to his mind. 
Ryan continues. Was there really a family? Jack continues to have flashes. Flashes of Dr. Tenenbaum, Dr. Suchong, and an infant come to his mind. Ryan continues. Did that plane crash? Or was it hijacked? A flash of Jack on the plane he was once on the beginning of the story with an open box, the present that he had in his hand. Inside, a pistol and a note reading, To Jack with love from mom and dad. Would you kindly not open until, with coordinates written on the note itself. Ryan continues to talk. Forced down, forced down by something less than a man. Something bred to sleepwalk through life until they are activated by a simple phrase spoken by their kindly master. Was a man sent to kill or slave? A man chooses, a slave obeys. Come in. The door to Andrew Ryan's office opens as Jack walks up to it. Andrew Ryan begins to speak again. Stop, would you kindly? Jack stops in front of Ryan. Would you kindly? Continued Ryan. Powerful phrase. Familiar phrase? Jack thinks back to the times Atlas used the phrase with him. Ryan continues. Sit, would you kindly? Jack sits on the ground. Stand, would you kindly? Jack slowly stands up. Run. Stop. Turn. Ryan continued to instruct Jack, following each command. Handing Jack his golf club, Ryan continues to speak. A slave obeys. Kill. Jack hits Ryan across the face with the golf club. Barely able to speak, Ryan continues. A man chooses. A slave obeys. Obey. With one final blow, Jack kills Andrew Ryan. What a powerful moment, too. This is yeah. like, has to be one of the top ten iconic moments of video games, I mean, personally, for me at least. Yeah, in that moment, it's so powerful to have this experience where you're you're no longer in control. And just the, the, the story point of, to, to Andrew Ryan, you are, like, because you're not making your own choice, you're not an individual, you are, like, everything he despises in the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's the, he's the total opposite. Like, yeah, he's not using free will to make his own decisions it's right. not really his sweat of his brow kind of thing like he's just a puppet yeah and he's just doing what he's told and he's so he's the opposite of everything that andrew ryan believes everything that rapture is to the point where ryan would rather like die and prove this point than continue to exist right right and then it goes back to, it kind of harkens back to what we said too before like you know jack is is not technically the hero right now right right there kind of is no heroes in this moment as Jack is a, is a puppet. And, and it's such a cool story beat to realize you're not having any free will in this. You think you are. You think you have free will in this, but really you don't. You know, there's, there's more going on behind the scenes than you realize. A familiar Irish voice comes over Jack's radio. Hurry right, now, grab Ryan's genetic key. Would you kindly put it in the goddamn machine? Placing Ryan's genetic key in the self-destruct override, the siren's warning of impending doom subside and calm. Jack's radio buzzed as Atlas comes back over once again, laughing. Atlas explains to Jack that he did a good job, and it was time for his masquerade to end. There was never an Atlas. The Irish accent Jack had once known was gone as the man continued to speak. The name's Frank Fontaine, he says to Jack. Laughing at him, Fontaine thanks him for his help and tells him to say hi to Ryan for him. 
but the sirens coming back to life. Jack runs out of Ryan's office trying to escape. A once little sister is standing in the hallway waiting for Jack and yells for him to follow her. She leads him to a vent and he falls down through an empty hole, passing out. That's such a cool reveal too. I think the story is such a does such a good job taking Atlas and, and becoming this person. You don't even see Atlas. You, know, you never no. see Atlas, and like and he becomes this friend almost. He's like the only voice in your in, you know with you that is on your side, in this whole thing. But like you know he saves your life in the very beginning of the game. He saves Jack's life in the very beginning of the game. So he's like your only friend in this whole thing. So for him to turn out to be the guy that's controlling Jack this whole time, it was such a cool twist. Such a cool twist. Yeah, that he, he's the one who's been playing the strings. And everything you've been doing has been because he wants you to do it. Yeah. It's all been something that he's wanted you to do. And in, in the end, he's this Fontaine person, this this character. So cool. And who you've heard about. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Was, that, you know, and, and the story did a great job kind of like planting the seeds there, talking about you know Atlas, who is Fontaine, saying that Fontaine's been dead for months. You know, why, why worry about him? He's nothing to worry about. He's a dead man. You know, but really the whole time he's yeah. been atlas which is awesome such a cool reveal yeah i I, and it's actually too i remember um i didn't play bioshock right away when it first came out i think i waited like a year or two and that reveal had already been like been like kind of spoiled i didn't really understand it so still like kind of that awe moment of wow that is amazing that is such an amazing reveal and it's so iconic too i say that a lot but it's because bioshock kind of is such an iconic game you go to any video game player not any video game player but one that really knows video games and you say would you kindly and they'll know exactly what you're talking about yeah yeah it's 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 a it's a it's a story that every it's it's like a really common story right it's it's a it's a core story to people who engage with video games yes is this the story because it was it was again it was this huge turning point and this whole question of player agency and and that was really interesting i i also similar to you i think i played Bioshock years later and i for whatever reason i, I probably had heard about what happened but it never stuck because it didn't have the context mm-hmm. and i i remember being like absolutely blown away by what was all happening it's of yeah. how this person who you trusted and who like in, in in it's really common in in stories especially in game stories you have this person who's telling you and helping you through the whole game that was something that happened a lot to all of a sudden now that person hasn't been helping you they've been controlling you yeah and they don't need you anymore it's, it's yeah. almost like here's a good analogy it's almost like if link <laughs> had navi <laughs> and navi turned out to be ganon <laughs> you know? yeah yeah that would be a good game where's that nintendo yeah cowards, cowards. <laughs> ganon be a fairy that'd be awesome <laughs> yeah, that would be, that's really cool yeah that's a great analogy yeah yeah, yeah. such a cool yeah it's such a cool story i love that you never see it you never see atlas you know he's just the voice mm-hmm. but he he becomes this powerful voice you know he becomes so much more than just a voice in this whole story which i think is so cool he's like kind of this impending doom in the background especially when he reveals that he's fontaine yeah and it makes the it makes the second time you hear the story feel very different you notice those times when he's saying these things to you and you notice you think well why is at first when you're playing the game when you're going through the story you didn't think about why you were doing these things because that's just what you do that's how you engage with this medium Mm -hmm. but the second time through it felt different right waking up dr tenenbaum welcomes jack back to the place where he was born jack gets up to see the little sisters he had saved along the way to Dr. Tenenbaum tells Jack that she owed him for helping her save the little sisters and was able to undo the mental conditioning put on him by Fontaine. Tenenbaum tells Jack that the doctor in charge of designing Jack's mind, Dr. Suchong, may have answers in his flat on Mercury Suites. Jack, able to finally make choices for himself, 
decides his new goal now is to save himself from Fontaine. On his way to Mercury Suites, Fontaine comes over the radio telling Jack that he's had enough of him and if he would kindly get stepped on by Big Daddy. Jack ignores him, to Fontaine's surprise. Fontaine repeats his request, but Jack continues to ignore him. Realizing that Dr. Tenenbaum helped him, Fontaine assures Jack that he has other tricks to control him. Code yellow, Fontaine says as Jack yells in pain, gripping his chest. Fontaine explains that the command he just used just told Jack's brain to tell his heart to stop beating. However, the heart is more resilient, and this won't kill Jack just yet. Dr. Tenenbaum encourages Jack to continue to Mercury Suites and find a way to, to free himself from the code yellow. Freeing another little sister and continuing through a horde of splicers, Jack suddenly feels the pain in his chest. Fontaine comes over the radio telling Jack that he won't have long and that he hopes they make it quick for him. Feeling his heart pound with pain at every beat, Jack doesn't stop moving forward. Making it to Mercury Suites in the district of Rapture known as Olympus Heights, Jack's chest continues to become worse as the pain tries to cripple him. Searching each apartment, Jack winds up in the home of Sander Cohen. Cohen invites Jack in to watch as two splicers dance together. Annoyed, purposely stopping the music, the splicers attack Jack as he puts them down. Infuriated, Cohen asks Jack when he will learn to take instruction and that he is coming to teach him to dance. Jack, racing up the stairs to get the jump on Cohen, opens the door to the second floor of the apartment and finds Cohen running down. Cohen invites Jack on the second floor of his apartment. Unfortunately for Cohen, his final performance is ended by Jack. I feel like this is so weird that you just wind up in his yeah. apartment. <laughs> You're yeah. looking for Dr. Su Chong's apartment in Mercury Heights, which all makes sense. And then you just wind up in Sander Cohen's home, which is, I thought was super like weird and yeah yeah this i think after this reveal and after you're moving through you you go and you fight sander cohen i think i think that could have been left out i don't know it, it doesn't seem like you said it it seems off yeah i almost wish cohen lived like he's so yeah. weird and unique yeah. and twisted that i kind of wish that that never happened like i i wish you'd never kind of found him and and yeah it just seemed kind of unnecessary yeah, I, I think what makes the majority of this story so incredible is it goes against a lot of those tropes that are in kind of game stories. Mm-hmm. And in in some of this last act, you see them leaning more into that, right? So because Cohen's a bad guy, you have to fight him, right? And, and, and I think they did such a good job with so much of the story that going against that, it, this doesn't feel as genuine as as interesting as the other part of it. Yeah, yeah. I think you, I think you phrased that in the perfect way. I think that, yeah, I, I, for Xander Cohen, I think his end of his life needed to be more grand, you know? And I think, yeah. but just the fact that, though, that he kind of just dies so quickly, you know? Like, I actually had mm-hmm. to rewatch it. I totally forgot that happened when I, when I, you know, I haven't played it so many times, I still forgot about that part. So watching the playthrough again, I had to, like, rewind it. And I was like, man, he, Xander Cohen just dies. Like, he just, like, you know, like. Yeah, that's just it. Yeah, it was so weird. He just dies in his apartment. It would have been a much better ending for him if he, like, blew up on a stage. You know, tried to take you out with him and blew up on a stage yeah, or like, something what's also um interesting to remember is now from here on out all these choices are jack so when jack is fighting a splicer when jack is fighting sander cohen this is like his he's making that choice now right. whereas before it wasn't he wasn't making that choice he was kind of absolved of that violence and now he's made he's choosing 
to, to be this person, which I think is another really interesting piece. It's interesting. That's actually a really good point. I actually did not even say this podcast is already great. You're already teaching me. <laughs> but no, I think it's such a, that's such a cool point. Cause like, like you're saying, you know, he's told to kill these splicers. Um, but now he kind of has to take that role on himself. That's now his burden to bear. Cause that's the choice he has to make. Unfortunately. Yeah. But it's also interesting too, that like, uh, Atlas, who's Fontaine, didn't just command Jack to harvest the little sisters, that he gave Jack that choice. So is that really Jack's right. choice to have saved the little sisters? You know? Yeah, was that the one choice that he got to make, or, or was it? Yeah, or yeah. was it, or is there like a little, little loophole? I don't know. I, I like to think that Jack had that choice, because he continues that choice. Yeah. You know, at least right. from our perspective, he does. <laughs> In this story, he does. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's such a yeah. It's so cool. I love that this is the moment that Jack, or you know, and this is the part of the game where Jack's choices are technically his own. You know, this is Jack, all Jack's doing. This is what Jack has to do. Yeah, and I think because this is all Jack knows, and this is all Jack has is has been because now that we've now that we've experienced, like this is what Jack was made to do. Mm-hmm. Um, he doesn't know anything else. So even though he has freedom, he's still making those same choices he made. And even though he's free to do these things. Um, he's still like Tannenbaum is saying, "Hey, go go speak to this person." And Jack says, "Yeah, that's what I'm gonna do." He's still he's still listening, but now he gets to choose, right? But mm-hmm. he's still because that's all he knows. That's all he's done. He's making those same choices. He's still choosing to fight these splicers. He's still choosing to fight Sander Cohen, which maybe he didn't have a choice because of who Sander Cohen is. But I think it's a really interesting to that, even though now he is free, he the 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 experience is still kind of the same. Arriving at Dr. Su Chong's apartment, Jack finds an audio recording of Su Chong stating that there is an antidote for the mind control plasmid. Fontaine had Su Chong create it as an insurance policy on the off chance that the mental control plasmid was ever used on Fontaine himself. The same mental control plasmid being talked about is one that was used on Jack as an infant. The name of the antidote is Lot 192. Unfortunately for Jack, though, Lot 192 was located in Fontaine's penthouse. Not stopping, Jack ascended the apartments of Mercury Heights, killing waves of splicers sent to stop him by Fontaine, and on limited time as his heart was failing him. Fontaine continued to try and get Jack to accept his fate. Over the radio, Fontaine confirmed what Jack already suspected. Jack was the illegitimate child of Andrew Ryan and his mistress, Jasmine Jolene, which is the woman we heard on the recording earlier. Fontaine explained how Jack only made it this far because he shared Ryan's genes. If he hadn't, Jack would have been killed by the first security bot that crossed him. But he didn't because the bots were programmed not to kill Andrew Ryan based on his genetic structure. But he didn't. It didn't matter what Fontaine said anymore. It didn't matter what anyone said. Jack was finally thinking for himself for the first time in his life. Nothing Fontaine said could stop him now. Not anymore. Getting on an elevator, taking him up to Fontaine's penthouse, Dr. Tenenbaum comes over the radio. They say to save one life is to save the world entire. I made a place for the children here, but it was you who are their savior. Will you stop here, or will you deliver them from this terrible city at long last? Staying silent, Jack got off the elevator and continued through the splicers waiting for him. Finally making it to Fontaine's penthouse, Jack locates Lot 192 on a desk in Fontaine's study. Jack takes Lot 192, and his heart begins to ease from the pains that he had been experiencing. However, the dosage was not enough. With the side effect of 192 reorganizing Jack's plasmid structure, he became unable to properly use the plasmids that he had been using. 
Dr. Tenbaum tells Jack that dosage of lot 192 is not enough and that he had to go to Dr. Chung's lab in Artemis Suites to retrieve more of 192. With his plasmid short-circuiting, Jack continued to Artemis Suites in Chung's lab. As he struggled, Jack rescued another little sister, liberating her from her enslavement. Arriving in Chung's lab, Jack finds more of lot 192 and a recording from Chung. In the recording, a frustrated Dr. Su Chong discussed having difficulties having the Big Daddy's imprint on the little sisters to act as their protectors. As one of the little sisters kept calling for Papa Su Chong, his anger got the better of him, resulting in his hitting of the young girl. With a familiar moan in the background of the audio, Jack listens as Su Chong is killed by an enraged Big Daddy. So I... <laughs> I don't like... <laughs> I don't like killing or anything like that. Don't get it wrong, but listening to the earlier audio recording of Su Chong telling mm -hmm. uh, who we now know as Jack as a young child uh, to kill that puppy. Like, would you kindly wring that puppy's neck? Is, I think is what Su Chong says. It's hard to listen to that. So kind of knowing that Su Chong gets his just dues feels kind of right, which is why I made sure I added it in the yeah. story. <laughs> yeah, I think so too. I think that it's a it's a good circle. And also like enshrines that it was it was su chong in his frustration to try and figure out how to imprint he like caused he figured it out right without even realizing right yeah yeah and that was his last act he, he of, succeeded was, i guess <laughs> yeah he did yeah he did was it worth it uh, maybe. <laughs> jack swigs back the lot 192 curing himself of the mental conditioning entirely dr tenenbaum then comes over the radio instructing jack to take a bathosphere to point Prometheus to settle things with Fontaine once and for all. Enraged, Fontaine encouraged Jack to come to point Prometheus and settle things like men. Yeah, I think they're they're playing with the the idea that now that he's free to choose instead of a slave, he's a he's a man. Oh, yeah. oh wow, that's actually a really good mm -hmm. point. Yeah. I never put that together. Wow, good good catch. Wow, good catch. That's such a good point. Yeah, because now he's not a slave. Is he? Right. Yeah. Right. Oh my God. Good catch. That's he can true. now choose to come and, and fight. Because I imagine Atlas probably heard that conversation over the right. radio. Yeah. I I would assume so. Yeah. yeah. Oh wow. Good. Good catch. Good catch. See. Ah oh, man. See this. <laughs> I feel like I've I'm I've gained such a deeper appreciation for Bioshock through this whole process of this podcast. That's awesome. I hope so. I hope yeah. I hope the listeners are also gaining things from this too. Because like, you know, I hope they gain, I hope their perspective on Bioshock changes. Hopefully for the better. I think it's a good story. So. Um, yeah, I think it's a good story. I think it's a really good story. And I think looking at stories in this way and looking at them closer always makes you appreciate them a little more. Yeah, yeah. Jack makes his way to Point Prometheus through the Rapture Metro, ready to end the nightmare started by Fontaine. Emerging from the waters of the Rapture Metro, Jack arrives in Point Prometheus to find Fontaine waiting and laughing with all of his might. Reassuring Jack that he is all the add-on Rapture can give, Fontaine runs away as Jack pursues him. Jack chases Fontaine through the halls of Point Prometheus, dodging the debris being thrown from him by Fontaine. As Fontaine runs through a large door, locking it behind him, Jack is unable to move through it. Last chance, kid, yells Fontaine. You pack it in now and I'll leave this dump to you. You keep on coming and raptures a fish tank. Dr. Tenenbaum encourages Jack to not let Fontaine go. Thinking, Tenenbaum tells Jack to go and find the dead body of a big daddy. In order to get through the Fontaine's locked door, he'll need a little sister to open it. In order to get a little sister to help him, Jack needs to become a big daddy. Jack needs to smell like, sound like, and even look like a big daddy. 
for a little sister to trust him. And if her plan works, she can get Jack past that locked door and back to Fontaine. I think this is a little misleading in the game. It was like, mm-hmm. I was under the impression that you would actually become a big daddy, which is terrifying, you know? <laughs> but like, it's, <laughs> yeah. as we learn soon, it's not exactly the case. So. Yeah, it's a little different. It's a little different. Yeah. Following Tenenbaum's plan, Jack collects a suit control system, big daddy pheromones, which smell awful, and the bodysuit of a big daddy. Observing Rapture through a big daddy helmet, Jack continued to listen to Fontaine's threats, finding splices along the way. Observing Rapture through a big daddy helmet, Jack continued to listen to Fontaine's threats. Jack was now able to get a little sister's help because he looked, sounded, and smelled like a big daddy. Jack walked up to one of the vents in the walls the little sisters came out of and hit it with his wrench. From out of the vent, a little sister slowly came out. Convinced Jack was a big daddy, the little sister followed him to Fontaine's locked door, crawled through the small hole near the door, and locked it from the other side. I don't think I did a very good job you know, we were writing this to make sure we put the vent system little sisters use in Rapture. Oh, that so, they up. Yeah. Yeah. It's probably something we could have done better, but I guess throughout Rapture are all these little vents, and that's how those little sisters kind of travel through Rapture. Yeah. You know, to make sure that the splicers don't get to them and that they're safe. So, but if you played the game, you probably already knew that. If you didn't, then I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> now you know. Now you know. Yes, yeah, so we're all good. There's holes all over the place. <laughs> Only little sisters can fit in them, so don't even try. Right. Don't even try. Jack, following the little sister into the area known as the Proving Grounds, is told by Tenenbaum that the little sister will lead him to Fontaine and to protect her as she helps. For the last time, Jack fights off Splicers while protecting the little sister, helping him. As little sister drained dead Splicers of their atom to give to Jack, they continue to lead him to the elevator, sending him up to Fontaine. Tenenbaum tells Jack to use the little sister's needle to drain Fontaine of his atom. It is the only way to defeat him. Going up the elevator, Fontaine tells Jack that he is the closest thing Fontaine has ever had to his son. That's why it hurts, he tells Jack. And it's actually super interesting, too, because Jack is the illegitimate child of Andrew Ryan. But he's also kind of the child of Fontaine, in a way, because Fontaine is kind of... I mean, he's, he's not, but you know, Fontaine has kind of had a hand in, in molding Jack more than Andrew Ryan ever has. Yeah, he, he raised him. And, like, through this experience, has like he's known this whole time that Jack was somebody that he put on this path, and they worked together to do all, achieve all this. Right, right. The elevator opens to Fontaine strapped in a machine, pumping Adam into his body. Jack runs up to Fontaine and stabs him with a needle in his chest. Fontaine, screaming in pain, knocks Jack back. Jack and Fontaine begin to fight one another. Fontaine's body had changed with all the atom coursing through him. His body morphed to have a more muscular frame and pulsing blue limbs. Bullets and plasmids flew as both Jack and Fontaine aimed to kill one another. Teleporting back to his machine, Fontaine continued to pump himself with atom. Wasting no time, Jack runs up and stabs Fontaine with the needle again, taking the atom from him. Knocking Jack back again, Fontaine continued to try and kill Jack and end his long con for the last time. As Fontaine tries to pump more atom into himself, Jack continues to drain it from him, to Fontaine's dismay. Knocking him back, Fontaine screams, I had you built. I sent you topside. I called you back. Showed you what you was. What you was capable of. Even that life you had. That was something I dreamed up and tattooed inside your head. Now, if you don't call that family, I don't know what is. And now, suddenly, 
The little sisters saved by Jack throughout his adventure in Rapture all came out and started to jump on Fontaine, stabbing him and taking his Adam away. Fontaine screamed in pain, but was too weak from his fight with Jack to get away from them. The little sisters continued to stab him with their needles as Fontaine finally perished from the world. Having passed out from his fight with Fontaine, Jack awoke to the little sisters in the body that was once belonged to Fontaine. A young sister walked up to Jack, holding the key of the city of Rapture. As he reached his hand out, Jack ignored the key the little sister held and instead held her hand. Leaving Rapture behind, Jack made his way back to the surface. Coming out of the bathosphere of the lighthouse where his journey began, Jack made it out alive. But he wasn't alone either. In the bathosphere were the little sisters he saved in Rapture. As we see Jack reach for the hand of one of the young girls, we see that young hand grow into that of an adult, accepting a diploma, an adult getting engaged with a ring put on her finger, an adult holding the hand of her child. But what was Jack's reward? On his deathbed, Jack, with his frail old hand, accepts the hands of the young girls he saved in rapture. So what did he gain? The answer was simple. Jack gained a family. The end. That ending is so good. I, I, it's very I don't good. even want to do yeah. the bad ending. <laughs> yeah. like, I don't even want to talk no, about the bad ending no. because like, the, the good ending is just so good. Like, it's just... It's so perfect. Yeah, what a, what a yeah. way to wrap up. Jack, who's this person that doesn't actually have a family, who's very alone in this whole situation, has nobody, it gets the one thing that he probably wants most. It's, it's a really kind of emotional moment, and they do a good job of... The story does a good job of helping you kind of see this change and, and all the positives that came from the choices that you made yeah. uh, in a really good way, kind of rewarding those choices with uh, such a happy ending. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, if the player did not make good choices <laughs> if jack if jack was a bad person and he was making poor choices and hurting young people uh young, young little sisters there's actually three endings but the two bad endings are basically the same it's just like slightly more bad by harvesting all of the little sisters um jack takes over rapture and uh uses all this technology to steal nuclear missiles um which i think he later sets off at the end of the game as we see in the cutscene, if I remember correctly. Yeah. And I think that, you know, and it's hard to think, I mean, maybe it's hard now because of writing the script and writing the story out and Jack's being this very um, positive, uh, good hero. It's hard to see Ryan being that, or it's hard to see Jack being that person that sets off a bunch of nuclear bombs. But then again, when you think of Andrew Ryan, it's easy to kind of see like, you know, with the sweat of your brow if you work hard enough you can really take whatever you want yeah. to kind of that mentality so it's easy to kind of see also that if that's what jack had in his mind that's what he probably do yeah I, I i will say kind of like you were saying the jack that is in this story the jack that we're focusing on the jack that we're telling the story of it's so hard to imagine him being that jack right because this feels like kind of what should be that this feels like what would be the, the the ending to the story that meaning if you instead choose altruism and i think that's kind of what ken levine was getting at if you choose this altruism this is what your reward is and this is what the as opposed to the objectivism that kind of this mm -hmm. in this whole idea that this is based on and that this is ultimately i think what he's speaking on is if you choose this altruism this you you may not get all the things you want in the world but you'll get this this happy life and you'll get to right. have this family that you wanted which i think i mean looking at it from my perspective i think that's a really cool message to send you know yeah. 
and, and how yeah and and this is just perspective from uh you know from the story it, it kind of is like anti-capitalism yeah. in a way you know like it's it's kind of anti take for yourself mm-hmm. and you know it's kind of like you know when you make good choices for others good things happen right. to you which you know i think some people would agree with some people would disagree with but yeah and that's, and that's okay that's yeah. totally okay that's why it's important to have those conversations so mm-hmm. i think bioshock is just one of those games that's so cool to talk about because I, for me, I love putting myself in that situation. Like, what what I do, you know, in the situation. Like, yeah. it's so easy to kind of want to be the hero, but could you really be the hero in that situation? So overall, Ryan, what do you think of Bioshock as a whole? I I, I really love the story of Bioshock. I love the the pieces that are set into it. I love kind of the arc of you as a character, not knowing what you're going to experience, and then this this shift and. I mean, I think like you said, I fall much more on the side of, I agree with kind of what Ken Levine is trying to say. I, I, I feel, I, I personally have feelings that connect with that, but that doesn't mean my feelings are accurate or more, more useful than others. But even if you don't, I think there's still a really good story in there. And I think the characters are really incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, I think especially, I think that climax of you, of Andrew Ryan, like saying that speech to you is saying... Um, those things and revealing to you what it really is is really just the, the crescendo of this whole narrative and i think yeah. that's i think the the best point of of the whole story that that building where you're realizing everything that you were told maybe isn't isn't necessarily true and because i as andrew ryan can force you to do this to me i am more of a human more of a just mm-hmm. being than you are Yes, I'm making the choice. Yeah, I'm not making yeah. the choice for because, me. Yes. Because he believes that being able to have choice is the most important thing there is. Right. I love the story of Bioshock. I think it's really good. I yeah. think it does have like maybe one or two plot holes. Uh, yeah. You know, like the injecting himself and whatever we talked about before. Right. But I think overall, it's such a, a cool story. I love stories where people are put in bad situations and they make the better choice despite it. Like, right. I think those are really cool stories. So, like, it's, it's, it's fun to put yourself in place of Jack and kind of live that adventure through yeah. this, this dystopian hell. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. This, this um, nightmare that he goes through. I think something really cool to point out, too, that I didn't realize originally was just how, like, Andrew Ryan is this, like, bigger-than-life persona in this game or person in this game. And but you, I, I've really come to realize how flawed Ken Levine kind of made him. Yeah. Cause like Jack Ryan says all these things um, and tries to live by all these ideals that he just kind of ends up saying one thing and then doing another. Yeah. So like, for example, what I really realized, like, like the first of was like the no gods or kings of man, but having all these like statues of himself, you know, like yeah. him having him up at the top and also how like, so his, we hear going into the rapture and the bathosphere in the beginning of the game. Andrew Ryan talk about, you know, with the sweat of your brow, this city can become yours. Right. And, and honestly, when you look through the story, that's exactly what Fontaine does. Yeah, Fontaine he does. Play, plays by those rules. Like, he used the sweat of his brow. He works hard. He has this long con to set Jack up topside to come, eventually come back down to kill Andrew Ryan to take the city. That's a lot of work. I mean, yeah. I, I imagine, right? Yeah. He, he's following Andrew Ryan's rules that he has set in place for Rapture. But to Andrew Ryan, because he's threatening Andrew Ryan, there's a, it's, it's flawed. Like, that's not okay. Yeah, which is very hypocritical of, yeah. of Ryan, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. And I mean, even if you look at which we didn't fully explore, I think in the story, but in what in what Fontaine did before this, 
which was like make a lot of money using this atom like he he built like the plasmids was a an industry that fontaine built and then andrew ryan took from him um because he was being too successful which is like again you didn't touch on that very no, well they, in the story no so I, I mean <laughs> because that wasn't our focus our focus was on jack's story and what he experienced um which i think is is the right choice to make um but it even can it even more supports what you're saying that fontaine was doing mm-hmm. all these things and fontaine set up the illegal smuggling ring because that was a way to make money and that's what he believed was the right thing to do but because it wasn't it went against what andrew ryan believed and he he pushed back against it making like and like you said at the beginning there's this speech of you know washington will take your things away and give it to the poor and the the pope will take your things away to give to god and the communists will take away to get other but really what andrew ryan wants is I want to take your things away and give them to me, right? Because that's 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 what he wants. Yeah, exactly. I, maybe is taking his beliefs to the extreme, and that's and maybe what Ken Levine is saying is that's what's going to happen if you allow this. Is somebody is going to decide what? Obviously, your wants are going to butt up against somebody else's, and are you justified to take those things if you want them? Um, and is that okay? Right. Because like I think if if Andrew Ryan had really followed through with what he said, then he probably would have been handing the keys of Rapture over to Fontaine. Because yeah, Fontaine's a he's better Andrew Ryan. Yeah. yeah, he's a much more successful, much more capable yeah. Andrew Ryan. It sounds like, but because Andrew Ryan is so flawed, but he, but it, that's what's so that's what's so interesting about Andrew Ryan is that he is so flawed, like so deeply flawed by what he says and what he does, being two different things. That right. he just but he just can't see it. Like he just he is so set in how he sees his world, how he, his perception of the world is so set, and he cannot change that perception, despite what he says, and that he's just so victimized in his mind yeah. over this whole thing with Jack and Atlas. But yeah, overall, a uh, fantastic video game story. Yeah, it's a really good story. I, th- I mean, I, I think just a good story in in any medium, it's a good story. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely, and we'll, I think we'll kind of see that more too uh, in the other games predominantly bioshock infinite yeah um so i've actually never played bioshock 2 so i'm super excited to play that it's a good game <laughs> it's a good game yeah. yeah it's different but it's a good game i just i think when i was younger than steve but i was like well it's not made by the same team that made bioshock <laughs> so i won't play it yeah and yeah so i mean I'm, I've, I've always heard it's a good game yeah and so. you do get to be a big daddy just like you wanted in this yeah one. yeah yeah which is cool which i mean yeah. i remember watching the, the demo for that and thinking it was cool but you, yeah. like, you know teenage eric was very set in his ways i was a very <laughs> andrew ryan kind of kid i guess yeah yeah <laughs> set in my ways didn't want to see anything else yeah so but yeah i so yeah that is our story i think uh so it's something that we kind of want to try too is talking about internet or not internet, yeah internet theories yeah for the games we talk about and but unfortunately i can only find one really good one i couldn't really find anything good surprisingly you think bioshock would have so many good but i found one really good one um that i wanted to share with uh with you ryan and the listeners um, so throughout the game, we didn't touch on this, um, but it's more of a game mechanic. Uh, in the game, there's these things called Vita Chambers. Um, and Vita Chambers, when you die, they bring you back to life, and you're not really quite sure why. And so later on in the game, you realize that these Vita Chambers are for Andrew Ryan. So when he dies, he's brought back to life. And because Jack has his genetic structure, or some of his genetic structure, that's why he comes back to life. So when Andrew Ryan is killed, you find a Vita... A Vita, um, Vita Chambers? Vita Chambers, yeah. So when, yeah. so yeah. when uh, Andrew Ryan is killed... Uh, his Vita chamber is uh, turned off in his office, 
and a lot of people speculate why you know it's so, it's so weird that he just didn't leave it on because he would have come back to life after jack killed him well a really popular internet theory for this is that andrew ryan knew exactly what was going to happen and that he planned for jack to kill him in order to be revived in a different vita chamber somewhere else in a different location in rapture um so that way when he died he came back to life somewhere else and everyone thinking that he's dead he could escape which would have been a really cool side story or a really cool part of the story at the end if, if Andrew Ryan was really still alive and you had to kind of deal with that mess after Fontaine died or something. But Yeah, I think that would have been really cool. And I think, um, I, I've never heard that theory, so that's that's a really interesting theory. I think maybe one of the reasons that there's not a whole lot of theories with Bioshock versus some of the other Bioshock games is it's a very closed loop. Um, mm-hmm. it, they, they do a really good job of not leaving a ton of loose ends. I think Andrew Ryan that being one of them right is him is you're able to come back for reasons so why is Andrew ryan if you guys are genetically yeah. similar yeah yeah exactly it's really so, interesting yeah, so i think overall we we love this story and yeah, uh very good. we had a really good time doing this episode i hope you guys enjoyed the reading i hope it was okay it was our first time <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so please give every us a time we'll get break. better but yeah, i think it was think it was really good I think, I think we'll only get better the more we do it. And yeah, hopefully people got something out of this. I hope they enjoyed it. Um, so yeah. Um, if you have any thoughts or feelings about Bioshock, the story of Bioshock, please email us, talesfromthecartridge at gmail.com. All of the E's are threes. <laughs> or find us on uh, Instagram and Twitter. DM us uh, how you felt. and We'll happily read the next episode. Yeah. Um, Makes along fun. with... Yeah. Along with... Um, our next episode being Borderlands 1. Yeah, the first Borderlands. I think Borderlands is thing, I mean, for Ryan and I, that's the game that we really, oh, Borderlands 2 was really the game that we kind of got into playing together in yeah. high school. Um, but uh, just the Borderlands series is something that I think is kind of special to us, so we kind of wanted to touch on that first. Uh, on the first, in the second episode, I mean. Yeah, no, and yeah. It, it'll be, it's a very different story than I think Bioshock. Um, yeah. And I think it's a story in which the story i don't know if it's the highlight of borderlands i think there's some really good story in there and certainly in the second game they kind of have a really good story but it's it's a good time yeah experience it's a really good world that they build um and tell a story through so i'm excited to experience that i think it's kind of a cool thing too with this podcast that we're gonna get a lot of different stories and some stories are gonna be very detailed like bioshock yeah and some stories will not be very detailed like borderlands not like i'm not insulting borderlands by any means I mean, there's a story there, but it's definitely just not as detailed, I'd say, as yeah. Bioshock. Yeah, I um, think. Like you're, yeah. Go ahead. No, no, I was just saying, just because, like you said, it's more of a that's more of a mechanic based game. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. Bioshock maybe would be considered, but. Yeah, I, I think so too. I think when you're when you're dealing with stories and in, in games, different companies and different publishers and sort of they spend a certain amount of time on the story versus others, and I think. Bioshock is a game in which the story and the characters are, are really the main focus. And I think Borderlands, mm-hmm. the story and characters are there, and there's a really good and interesting story in there, and I'm hoping we can kind of refine that down to its best version of itself. Um, but yeah. it, it's, it still has a different experience than Bioshock. Than Bioshock, sorry, Bordershock. Than, <laughs> Bordershock. Than, than, than Bioshock, um, yeah, where it's, yeah. it's, it's this like really cohesive narrative that, is, that has this really interesting twist. And I think that's why we started with it, because it's kind of what, after Bioshock, and I think other games did this as well, but at least for me and for, I think, my generation of individuals engaging with games, this was the one that showed us, oh, okay, these games can, like, 
tell a really interesting story that make me that I I'm thinking about still years later, and yeah. reflecting on years later. And I think we can agree to that. Not only Borderlands One, but the whole series has some amazing dialogue. Yeah, in it. yeah. Some yeah. amazing lines. I am super excited to read. Yeah. I cannot wait, especially yeah. Borderlands Two. I cannot wait to read those lines. Yeah, but that yeah. game. We we spent so much time playing that game. It was really so wonderful. Much time. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, and also too, if um, please, we're gonna be reading people's uh, you know thoughts, reactions to each game as we um, do them. So like, obviously, it won't happen for Bioshock. It's our first episode, so no one's really gonna know it. You know, know that we're doing this yet. So um, if you have any thoughts or feelings about Borderlands One that you would also like to send to us before we record the next episode, please do so. Yeah. Um, we're not sure when we're gonna release this quite yet, but just whenever you hear it, if you have a thought. Um, maybe we'll kind of come back eventually and, and go through reviews we haven't, you know, didn't get to in time. Yeah. Um, but we still would love to read your thoughts and, and, and touch on them as much as possible. And remember, if, if you didn't like, you know, Bioshock, if you didn't like Borderlands, if you did, um, everyone's perspective is super important and interesting. And I would love to kind of hear them. I think we both would like to hear them. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, I, think so too. I mean, if there's someone out there who who didn't like Bioshock, I would very much like to know why. Because even if I didn't agree with them, I would just want to know kind of what their their view on is. Because maybe I could totally change my perspective. Yeah, um, and why and what what the what the thought is. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah, I think that'd be yeah. really good to hear and to understand. Um, yeah, yeah, because I think those other perspectives, like you said, are so important. And what this game means to us um, as individuals, it has a lot to do with who we are and our. Um, our identity and for mm-hmm. somebody who has a different identity than uh, us two uh two guys it, you know what i mean that's it's really <laughs> useful to hear why yeah. and what that what the perspective is um so yeah. i think that's it's it's really important for us to, to think about that exactly yeah i totally agree i totally agree so yeah so um sorry last time i'll say it uh tales from the cartridge at gmail.com all of the e's are threes um yeah. and then instagram and twitter tales from the cartridge let us know what you thought um i hope you can forgive me for my first reading i'll try to get better it was a great job <laughs> it was a great good. job thank you right you're you're very nice yeah. <laughs> um and and so yeah and then i uh i think we'll see you next time yeah we'll see you next time thanks All for right, thanks listening guys. bye